As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to From the Rookerind, a podcast about Watford SC, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, uh, with me is Mike. This is the sound of a very relaxed Mike this weekend, no Watford football to get aerated around, so very good evening, a good day to you John. Can you hear some chimes in the background? Maybe. Uh, and of course, uh, on this international weekend, uh, I, we are joined by Adam Leventhal, The Athletic's correspondent for Watford Football Club. Hello Adam. Hello. I don't, I, I, yeah, it's good that you're all relaxed. There's there's a there's a transfer window which is still very much open, so it's all it's all going on in my world. So uh, yeah, I'll be the frantic one this week. <laughs> is it is it open or is it slightly ajar? I, I never quite know where to put similes and uh, metaphors about this window. So Adam, you had a you know you say it's not closed yet, but you've had quite a week. Is this always a week for you, especially the the run up to that that to a to a dead a deadline day? Is it always something you dread or is it something you you get so excited as a journalist? I enjoy it. I think it's um, I think it's it's good fun to a certain degree. Um, there's lots of information flying around. Some of it which is which is true. Some of it which is completely complete nonsense. Um, and you have to try and sort of work out you know the the wheat from the chaff basically. Pri- private um, jet from Brescia to Luton, anyone? <laughs> but that was love an interesting that. one, wasn't it? Amazing. It was. But I love that. I love the level of. Um, investigation that was that was going on from um, I, I don't know exactly who it was I should probably know who, who who did that but having done that I saw it and then I was thinking oh yeah I wonder if you can track planes and stuff so I was actually looking looking up and you know researching planes and things like that and I looked like looking anyone up. else would. That's, that's not a very uh, forensic way of trying to track a plane Adam <laughs> just looking up. <laughs> Hello, who's in that one? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how that's that's how I usually do most of my uh, my research. Just just look, just look and see if anything's in front of me. Um, but no, I you know that was an interesting one that Balotelli link because it sort of emerged from a report in in Italy. It was something that was mentioned. So you look into it. I managed to speak to someone who's very, very close to Mario Balotelli, and he was very coy about whether there was any truth in it or not, but didn't rule it out completely. So that doesn't necessarily mean that there was anything in it in the first place. 
But, you know, I was able to sort of put something out there in the morning. And I think that that probably got people excited about it. But the, the thing was, when you actually scratch the surface on, on, on Mario Balotelli, he was actually very close to sort of having his contract terminated earlier on this year with Brescia. Uh, and then he didn't get his contract renewed. So he's a free agent. So he can effectively pitch up anywhere he wants. But I don't think it's something that is going to be at the top of the list for Watford, especially with, with so many other strikers hanging around the football club. But it was it was, it was was classic transfer deadline day fodder, wasn't it? It was. But do you not feel sometimes, Adam, that you go, right, I need to investigate that. And you get to a certain point, you go, that was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Yes. But... But, but then sometimes, you know, a rumour that you see on, on social media or, or something or you hear about or someone, you know, messages you or whatever, wherever it emanates from, sometimes they are, you know, they stick and sometimes they're true. And, you know, with the Balotelli one as well, a lot of people would have gone, oh, no, no way. But there was actually a move that was considered for him. I think it was four, four or five years ago when he was um, being let go from Liverpool. I think that's I think that's correct, and the Pozzo family are familiar with him. There's obviously the Italian link. Uh, there's links with his agent and things like that that they've done deal, deals with before. So it's not that far fetched. Um, it's probably not what Watford need at the moment, but it wasn't completely out of this world. So um, you know you've got to you've got to check it out. And you know I've got nothing better to do. So uh, I thought <laughs> I just <laughs> thought I'd just check oh. it out. Because the one story I told you were following, because we sort of we've seen it coming in many ways, was uh, was two particular exits. Uh, one being Gerard Delafeu, uh, and the one being Danny Welbeck. Um, they were high on our list of yeah, you like to go, aren't you, lads? Danny Welbeck um, didn't actually go in the transfer window. He he, he left a shake of hands and uh, see you later. <laughs> yeah, he. I think it was all sorted out on um, on deadline day. Um, and I think they'd been sort of discussing it all the way up until um, the deadline. I've just been handed a cup of tea by my wife. Um, oh. So uh, thank you very much. Thank, thank, thank you very much indeed. I live in one room. I get everything brought to me. I just sit, sit here and just, just concentrate on transfers. and just get. You live in, are you in prison? <laughs> yeah, effectively. A transfer prison. I, I get released <laughs> after the window closes. <laughs> so yeah, where was I? With Welbeck. Yeah, they were, they were obviously talking about it in the build-up to the international deadline. There was the potential that someone was going to come in for him. I think a few offers were tabled from, from Europe and stuff, which weren't necessarily to his liking. And then I think it was pretty amicable in the end that Welbeck would have wanted to be able to look at all his options and not be constrained by, you know, that international uh, deadline. So he couldn't, you know, for example, he can't he couldn't go off to Italy or Spain or whatever. And also the fact that Watford were very, very keen to get him off the wage bill. Um, he hadn't been training with the first team. He'd sort of been kept separate. He'd been in the same sort of holding pattern as Decore and things like that, training away from the first team. So I think it, it just made sense for, for both parties, really. Watford on the finances, for Welbeck in terms of his, his opportunity. He wants to find the right club. And last season, it just didn't really work out, did it? Obviously, with that additional injury that he got. Um, but it was just a bit of a basket case, really. And, and I think from his point of view, trying to get back on track, he needs you know a, a stable, a stable club probably playing in the Premier League that can um, you know help him get back into into the conversation maybe for England in the future who knows I have to say that I think as a few people sort of rolled their eyes when when he when he went but I think rewind to the start of last season and I, I still maintain that was a, a terrific 
gamble worth taking for for Watford. Obviously, he had he had that injury, which which banjaxed his his Watford career as brief as it as it was. But there was wasn't really anything anything to lose for, for from Watford's point of view, and I think it was a, a really sensible um, attempt from from them. So I, I think he can, he can go with um, with everyone's best blessings, and I think Watford can 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 sort of maintain a, a head, head held high on on that deal it didn't come off but it could it could have done couldn't it very easily so i think that was it was a decent effort one that one that was well worth a roll of the dice so no surprise that he's gone happy to see him go wish him wish him wish him luck we will always have that that wonderful overhead kick that he that he scored adam you and i were lucky enough to to see and hear it hit the yeah. net at, at vicarage yeah. road but it was i think you know that takes us back to that was the market we were shopping in. I think it's credit to to Gino and Scott. They were able to attract, like you say, Adam, an England international. So it didn't work out. Um, wish him well, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll watch with interest. But uh, it was a gamble worth taking, and uh, but just glad it glad it sorted for both parties. Oh, my wife's bringing me something to drink. Oh, it's it's <laughs> it's a beer. Thank you very much. Uh, Ah, happy Friday. Uh, the other one you were chasing, uh, Adam, of course, was what would happen to young Gerard Delefeu. We, we we talk about the fantastic overhead kick from D- Danny Welbeck. It, it will be on the internet for most Watford fans forever. Uh, but we didn't get the Gerard Delefeu goal at Wembley in the FA Cup semi-final. Um, if whatever we, we haven't still quite figured out what that was, a dinker, whatever it was, a swizzer. Uh, he, he went, as expected, but he went to swizzer. Udinese. Adam, what? I'm keeping it. Aren't they, they're, the, they're the things that are at the bottle of urinals, aren't they? I don't know. <laughs> swizzer. Next time you're having a pee in the pub, check down. I reckon you'll see the word swizzer. Thank you, Michael. We knew who's going, Adam, but it was the fact he went to Udinese. Now I'm looking at that. I'm going. Is it because this whole situation? He couldn't get a medical for another team, and movement is bad. Or was it the fact that, you know, they just couldn't get rid of him because he was injured? Why do you think he ended up at Udinese, which always feels like an easy out? Yeah, I suppose it, it is an easy out, but it's ha- it's a handy little net that Watford have, isn't it, really? Especially, you know, in this scenario where, you know, we've dropped out of the, the Premier League and we can still offer players um, top division football in case we just need to keep that pot boiling for for a little bit and that fitted the Delafay case perfectly didn't it because obviously having you know been recovering since february for his um his acl injury there was always sort of this scheduled return of november time and that's pretty much um you know come true hasn't it he's he's pretty much ready to to play football once again um and i think once watford were relegated they always knew that he was going to be a player that would want to be playing in a top division he was always going to be a player that they could get some money for um but there was always going to be the complication that due to his injury some clubs would be reticent to take that risk and i think if you throw into it people really not wanting to take a risk in the current climate due to COVID-19 and and worrying about finances and things like that, that it was always going to be one that was going to be difficult to get over the line. There were options for him. Um, Napoli had been interested in him pretty much throughout the, the window, but they needed to sell before they could buy. Um, Fiorentina were in a similar case. They got rid of uh, Chiesa and it was either going to be Delefeu or Callahan that went into Fiorentina and it was Callahan that they chose. So then that meant that Delefeu was sort of going to be left a little bit high and dry and it developed pretty quickly that they could go, right, okay, well, 
head over to um, Udinese and you can stay there. It, it makes sense, doesn't it, also, because any club that wanted to, to sign him wouldn't have been fully up to speed with his, his fitness. He'd been training over in Andorra, doing his fitness training, but Watford will have been briefed on that. Um, Udinese, obviously, they share all the all the data and stuff. So he can then go play up until January, hopefully, in Serie A, maybe then get a subsequent bigger move that will bring the money in that they want for him to a, a bigger club in Italy or maybe in Spain or maybe even, you know, coming over to a, a club in the in the Premier League or, or whatever. Um, but then, you know, if he does stick there and stay there and have, have a good time and regain his fitness and all's going well, he will then have those alternative options at the end of of this season but then if all goes to plan for Watford then there's always the chance that he could come back to England as well and play at Vicarage Road again so I think it's probably you know the the best situation that you could have asked for and I think it was ultimately you know the best option for for everyone really and and especially Watford fans because is it that slight glimmer of of hope that he he might come back Mm, glimmer Really, yeah, the tweet that came out, I was again. There's some well-chosen words there, Mike. Do you not? Do you not think? Really, he, he I, it was I, always I, I felt do, like but... he was going to be going this summer if he was yeah. fit. He wanted to move to somewhere bigger. We were always going to be a stepping stone for him. Come on, am I being the cynical one? <laughs> well, I, I think perhaps a little bit. I think Gerard Delafoe is never going to play in the Championship, is he? At, the, at this stage of his career, it's not what he has his heart and perfectly formed abs set on doing, <laughs> is it? Um, oh. But I think you know you, you need to you need to approach it with this one with the, in the spirit that it's that's in, intended. I do wonder whether um, him going to Udinese is seen as a, a pretty decent signing for them. And I know the, 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 the Gino Pozzo and the the, the the ownership of Udinese have been under a little bit of pressure for perhaps one favouring Watford over the past couple of years. So in taking Pereira there, Forestieri heading back there and now Delefeu going there and of course Nacho Passetto, whether that might assuage some of the slightly more critical Udinese fans because he is a, a sort of high-end signing, isn't he? He's still a, pl- a player that should be able to operate at that top level. And of course, you know, we talk in all I've been remarkably for me positive about Watford's chances this season. And we do hope that we that we go back up. We do hope they're at least challenging. And if we do get promoted back into the Premier League, then there's a, there's every chance he could come back. I mean, a lot of stars would have to align because if he goes to Udinese and has a great season, the chances are he's not going to want to come back to Watford, even if we are in the Premier League. He'd be, he'd be looking and looking elsewhere. But um, all we've got is hoping for the best. Uh, and it's nice to think that one of our players could, one of our better players could end up gracing the the, the field in Vicarage. I kind of look at it, look at him as a, a metaphor for what might be this time next year when we're back in the Premier League. The sort of caliber of player that we're hoping to set our sides on. It's almost like um, a kid doing his homework. This is what if you get if you do well this season, if you get promoted, these are the sort of players that that we'll have back again next year. Do the homework, do the work this year, and we'll get the we'll get the fun. Uh, the fun next year. So yeah, I'm going to say you are being a bit cynical, but um, I, I, on the on a slightly more serious note, I think a lot of stars would have to align for it for for Gerard Delafay to be to be back at Watford. But a, a player that's given us all frustrating times, but will you know very similar to Roberto Pereira will go, um, and and everyone will have 
memories of uh, of Delafoe's magic goal at Wembley, and just he just scored some belting goals, didn't he? And it, we were just privileged to, I think, you know, back as we as we look back over his career, we'll we'll realise how uh, how privileged we were to see him in a yellow shirt and see him playing uh, before our very eyes at Vicarage Road, and he's one that I think every Watford fan will really want to have a successful season at Udinese, and if he comes back and uh, powers us into Europe and uh, all the glory that that brings, then all the better. Go get him, Jerry. Adam, you know, as I say, the window is just ajar slightly. Um, it's going to be a possibility some Watford players leaving, maybe some coming in, I suppose. But but the ones who are leaving, we know there's there's a you know the rumours that go Dawson, they go uh, Kiko, they go Saar still, but there's possibilities. Dal Yanmat, what are the likeliness of all of them? Do you think going before next Friday? How long have you got? Um, <laughs> Until next Friday. Yeah, yeah. Let's deal with the sort of... The, obviously, the big one is is Ishmael Assar. We know that Liverpool bid for him. We know that Manchester United bid for him. And there is every chance that um, a club between now and next Friday will come in and, and chance their arm. Um, I think it's unlikely to be Liverpool again. There is a slight chance that it could be Manchester United again because, you know, anyone that says, oh, well, you know, they've, they've, they've made their bid, they didn't want to take him on a permanent deal, they only wanted a loan and they've made up their mind, probably isn't concentrating on what Manchester United have been doing over the last few months in terms of what they were talking about with Jadon Sancho. Borussia Dortmund told them that they had a deadline of, of August the 9th or something like that. And they went, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they went in again, you know, towards the end of the, the transfer deadline and they didn't meet the, the valuation. So, you know, they, they do operate in mysterious ways, Manchester United. So I don't think it's it's wholly um, unlikely that they might just have another nibble again. I wouldn't rule it out um, because, you know, who would have thought that they would have done what they did with with, with Jadon Sancho? Um, there might be other clubs in the mix, but I don't think there's that many in the Premier League at the moment that would be able to, um, one, afford him or two, be attractive to him. I was thinking, you know, someone like Aston Villa um, and they had sort of been talked about as a potential opportunity for him. And, you know, they weren't really seen as a as a as a big opportunity for him. And then they go and beat Liverpool 7-2 and you think, oh, God, oh, God, maybe they might actually be, a, a, you know, a viable option. But I think they've done their business. You know, another team like Everton, perhaps that's also one that sort of moved up to a higher echelon by the start that they've made. You know, he's got he's got a good friend there in Abdullah Decore. They like to spend money. You know, maybe they might be a, an opportunity. Who knows? But I think, you know, that is definitely going to be one to watch. In terms of the other outgoings, if you look at, um, I mean, you mentioned Daryl Yammat there. My understanding uh, is that, and I've discussed all of this in, in, a, in a mailbag piece that I've done for The Athletic, and I've, I've answered a whole host of questions on loads and loads of players, ins and outs and contracts and all that sort of stuff. So you can look it up on The, uh, on the Athletic. Daryl Yammat, I understand, you know, there are discussions ongoing about his future. Um, and, you know, one of the options is that um, he might also, similar to Danny Welbeck, be released from his contract so he can find the right club, uh, wherever that may be, probably back in in Holland um, when he is fully fit. I mean, he's been out for, for ages and ages. So I think it's just a matter of him getting back to playing football. In terms of Troy Deeney, that pot is still boiling as well. We know that and that's one to watch um, before the, the transfer window closes. Domestically, we know that West Brom are very much interested in him. Craig Dawson is, yes, another one um, to watch. 
West Ham have been mentioned. Fulham were mentioned previously, but they did their business on deadline day. Burnley is another potential opportunity. But I think it's very clear with Craig Dawson, if you look at you know what's happened in terms of the recruitment that Watford have done in central defensive positions in William Trustecong, Kong, uh, Francisco Sidialta, um, Ben Wilmot getting recalled and playing, that he's dropped down the pecking order. He wasn't even in the squad against Reading, was he? So uh, I think he and his you know representatives know full well that if they can find the right move then then that will happen but it will still need to to be the right move for for Watford as well they'll want to recoup some of the money that they spent on him what five and a half million pounds uh just a, a year ago so yeah that one that one's an interesting one Kiko Femenia is another one as well the club want to keep him but he's had a lot of options put his way uh you know by representatives and things like that specifically in Spain um Getafe Ibar Valencia um, and also uh, Alaves were in for him. But that's gone away, obviously, because he can't move to, to Spain now. There was an opportunity to move to Spartak Moscow, but that appears as if he's now dropped back behind um, Victor Moses, who is who is heading there. And he doesn't really seem to be the sort of fella who likes a Sparta Moscow type weather. He's too sunshiny <laughs> for me. Too sunshiny. Yeah, I know. I know he, yeah. I know he hasn't it, got his blonde streaks anymore in his hair, yeah, but he's definitely yeah. more of a sunshine fella. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. But yeah, so that, that just sort of shows that, you know, some of these players are, are sort of looking at any any way out. And I think the club are having to sort of look at any option at the moment if it is the right fit. Um, so those are the main ones. I think uh, in terms of any other outgoings, I think it would be a surprise if anyone else left. Will Hughes is, is one that, you know, is is a potential, but my understanding is that he's pretty much committed to to staying at the club at least until January, and that might be followed up with a you know with a new contract. So hopefully, and you know, you know, Watford put out a, a nice um, bit of video on their social media on Friday, you know, showing him back in training and smiling and you know things that you love to see. So that's that's hopeful that he will be around and they can build their midfield around him. So. You know, fingers crossed that that Hughes stays, and then you know you've got a lot of familiar faces still at the club, and hopefully, once that window closes, we can genuinely know where we stand with the squad, and and just kick on without having all these all these distractions and all these idiots on podcasts just talking about transfers all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. The one person who we have added, let's say, Mike, to our squad this season, even though we haven't we, we haven't signed him or anything, is Etienne Capu. Uh, lots of people getting very excited that this he will be the greatest player the championship has ever seen, uh, <laughs> and he will do some wondrous things for the Hornets. When you saw the news, how did you feel about that? Did you did you have a sensible head on or uh, your normal head? Sensible head. head. <laughs> a curious case of Etienne Capu. Now, me and me and Caps have had a bit of an up down 
relationship during his time at, at Watford. I think uh, looking back, I was slightly embarrassed and ashamed at the uh, brickbats I hurled his way during the sort of bleaker times after after Christmas when Watford had their uh, inevitable uh, halfway through the season slump. I used to I pretty much blame Detty and Capoue for everything until a yeah, couple of years ago uh, when I decided and I would tell anyone that listen he was the, actually one of the best midfielders ever to play the game. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I'm not afraid to admit where I was wrong, and I was wrong when it came to Etienne Capoue. He, I think he's supremely talented. One of the most joyous elements of watching Watford over the past couple of seasons, in fact, probably the only joyous element of watching Watford last season, were these ridiculous crossfield balls that Etienne used to, Etienne Capoue just would just swing from one side to the other, like a languid sort of seven iron. He was hitting some beautiful passes and just... You know, a man in, in in full control of that of, of that right foot, just delivering balls that were just uh, just magnificent to watch. And he, I'm I'm firmly in the Etienne Capou fan club. Um, I love him. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I was not surprised when it became clear he wanted out of out of Watford. He, for for the reasons I've just espoused there, he's. I don't think he's a Championship footballer. I think he's better than the Championship, and I fully expected him to leave. And therefore, wasn't disappointed when it it became apparent he'd asked for a transfer. Now we all, we've all, we've talked as these podcasts have gone on that this isn't a normal transfer window in virtually every way imaginable. The timing of it, the economic the economic situation, it's crackers, all bets are off. Um, so whether a player wants to leave isn't just down to a player wanting to leave. You need to find a suitable buyer. That buyer needs to have the funds in place. They have to have the funds in place there and then because the selling club knows that there's some financial difficulty coming down the line. So it's very, very difficult to get a transfer done. And it didn't work out for Etienne Capoue. The, the, the plan was it would appear to all intents and purposes he was going to go and hook up with, with Javi Gracia at, at Valencia. Um, that's fallen through and has caused issues for Javi at Valencia. I hope they get sorted because um, I wish, wish I think I'd join with everyone, wishing Javi Gracia everything, uh, all, the, all the best of luck. And it looks like he's got a, a tough job on his hands there. But ultimately, it means we've got Capoue, literally. <laughs> and I think, you know, that is the nature of football. If you apply for another job you're not always going to get it. That doesn't mean you should be booed when you walk back into the office, right? You know, if Adam, you hadn't got the job at The Athletic and you uh, asked for an extra shift at Sky Sports News, you wouldn't expect to, to be booed out of the building, would you? <laughs> I, you know, the bottom line is, as a footballer, I'm, I'm delighted to have him back in the fold. I think we, we spoke in the last podcast about the centre of midfield being perhaps an area of concern with, with Tom Delibashir, who's unfortunate injury, get well soon. Tom, really, really bad luck, that considering the, the way he was playing. But that was an area that we were looking at as, as an area of concern. Etienne Capoue coming back into the into the situation, if we can hang on to Will Hughes, makes that area look extraordinarily strong all of a sudden. Adam, though, you're saying all these great things. I mean, Ishmael Hassar will adore a ball being put through to him from Etienne Capoue. But I think it's probably going to be... You know, in my mind, there's going to be some other players where all of a sudden opportunities have have disappeared. I mean, you know, yes, Tom Delibishu is is going to be out for a good few months, but there were some young players who we sort of thought, hey, you might get some more minutes, you might get that breakthrough. This could be your season. But with Etienne Capou being as great as he is, being able to do what he does, we know that he he's bound to be picked above them. It sort of makes me a bit a bit sad. 
I think on the face of it, look, th- this is good news for Watford to have Etienne Capoue in that midfield. But there are obviously challenges involved with the situation because, yes, he's going to have to build some bridges. He's going to have to prove his worth to Vladimir Ivic. If he does that and he you know, he shows how good he can be in training, then he's going to be a shoe in to start every game for Watford, as you would expect. But I think sort of underneath that, there is a little bit of headaches attached I think now to to the selection issues that, that Watford have obviously they wanted you know to keep at the very least one of Etienne Capou or Will Hughes and it seems as if you know they want they were more keen to keep Will Hughes and build the, the midfield around him but you know now they've got Will Hughes and they've also got Etienne Capou they've got Tom Cleverley who I understand they're talking about a new contract with you've got Nathaniel Shalabar you've also got Domingos Kina You've brought in James Garner on loan from Manchester United as well. And don't forget, you've got Tom Deli Bashiro, who, you know, deserves another chance when he comes back because he was looking really, really good when he was playing. So you've got a really stacked midfield once again. So there are going to be some players that aren't playing all the time. I suppose the only advantage to being in the championship is that maybe you can rotate it a little bit more. But there is always going to be players on the on the outskirts of of the side that aren't going to be too happy. So Vladimir Ivic is going to have to deal with with those scenarios as well. But you know, all in all, yes, it's going to be good to have Etienne Capou in that side. But I think the jury does still need to remain out to a certain degree because ultimately he wanted out, and you know he has to sort of prove his prove his worth to to the squad, to the players, to the hierarchy, to everyone, that he is completely dialled in. Because when he is dialled in, he can be brilliant. But when he's not quite tuned in, he's not always everyone's cup of tea. I hope that he understands the situation. I think he's a man who is aware of his footballing talent. I don't think he's a man that is driven he will when he retires he'll be happy to have had the career he's had I don't think he's driven to go and play for Barcelona PSG to win a Champions League I think he will be happy with what he's achieved Um, and I think sometimes that can feed into his slightly indifferent performances but I think he will also recognize the situation he's been in he wanted away it didn't work out and I think he's a grown-up so hopefully we will get the Etienne Capoue that I grew to love more often than not that's down to him and I think if we don't get it one man won't stand for it, and it's not me moaning on a podcast. It's Vladimir Ivich. He simply won't play him. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. From the rookery end. Mike, I had to, because I just, I've got a phone number. Uh, every so often, <laughs> I like to call Anne Swanson just to see how she is. Uh, anyone doesn't know who Anne is, there's a podcast I did. I went to her house, interviewed her, uh, came out July 2018. Uh, so do check that one out. And if you don't know, she was the lady in charge, and I mean in charge, of the Junior Hornets. Uh, she does listen to the podcast, Mike, uh, as you'll hear. She's a big fan. Uh, so uh, thank you again, Anne. Uh, and I, I had to phone her up just to sort of see how she is. And, and she got me, got me thinking a little bit, or I had been thinking about it, and I want to ask her about him. A guy called Tom Wally. Now, Tom, for me, was one of those men in photos when I was a kid who was in a tracksuit next to all the Watford players and, of course, <laughs> with Graham Taylor in tracksuits. What was he to, to you, Mike, Tom Wally? 
I think he's he's a he's a name, isn't he? That is just part of that amazing era. <clears throat> a name that we we well, I'm forty odd, forty two. I don't know how old I am. I think I've, I'm either forty two <laughs> or forty three. That tells you how my my week's been or or life is going, I suppose. But <clears throat> growing up in the in the Graham Taylor era, Tom Wally was a guy that you were aware of, like Anne, like Anne Swanson. She was just a name that was um, completely permanently attached to Watford and everything good about it some names were 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 a, were a massive part of that and tom wally was one of them he was a sort of he just felt like part of the furniture and integral part of of what our club was and you could just tell you know even as a youngster the the sort of the weight the gravitas that that someone like tom wally had around the place you know initially as a as an eight nine ten year old you just know the name and like you say john you see him in that tracksuit you see him smiling and you know initially in the black that amazing black tracksuit and all the different paraphernalia it went on everyone will have a picture of, of tom wally in their their mind but as we grow older you become just acutely aware of just how important he was for bringing sort of players through wasn't he i think so many people have spoken about how instrumental he was in in bringing players through from the youth team up into up into the into the first team i think he was very very similar to graham taylor in terms of a disciplinarian expected high standards put them through their paces um but very similar to, to gt in other ways like a like a father figure as well so yeah initially just one of those guys that you were aware of and aware of how important he was without actually knowing too much and then yeah like i say as as, as time moves on you do become more understanding of just what an important building block that's probably doing him a disservice but you know what I mean he was a part of the foundation of uh, of, of what made Watford so successful well I wanted to say I, I just chatted to Anne and I asked her um, about, as, well as, as well as how she is what she remembers about Tom Wally oh I'm fine thank you I've been thinking about you I've been going to send you an email to just to say how much I love the podcast Oh, thank you so much, Anne. The one character we did when I when I came to see you, we did speak about him. Uh, was Tom Wally? What was he? What was he like for what, when you dealt with him? What was he? What was he like? <laughs> he could swear like a trooper. Right. <laughs> Everything was, you know, with a few swear words. And you know, I'm godmother to his son Simon, and he's got three children two girls and a boy and i have never ever heard any of them swear <laughs> so it didn't get passed down did you meet him when you went to the golden memories event did, yes and he made a big fuss of me what other memories do you have of him well he used to phone me up because my jane went out with barry ashby for two years and he used to phone me up and say, have you got any of them at your house? What are they up to? They're not staying out at night, are they? And things like that. One day I had a phone call from him and he said, I've got a new boy coming. He's very special. Will you have him at your house Monday to Friday? So I asked him, oh, what was his name? He was quite a good player, but that was the sort of thing Tom would do. You'd look after his lads, would you? Oh, yes. He was ever so helpful. If I wanted the boys to do anything for me, he'd always make sure they, they did it. And he was so loved by everybody at the club. Yeah, do you think that was because he'd, he'd been a player? I think it was because he was so caring. He was like a father to them. He was a, a younger version of Graham Taylor. With Graham and Elton. 
where do you sort of sit to you in terms of how he was around the club? I would think he was perhaps the next most important person was Tom Wally. Everybody knew Tom. Yeah, he, he was just so kind. <laughs> he, he had a second job selling coats. Winter coats, sheepskin. <laughs> okay. At one time, you'd see nearly everybody walking around in one of these blooming sheepskin coats that Tom had acquired. <laughs> he was a real wheeler dealer. Graham loved Tom Wally. All the first team players had a good word for him. He was, he was lovely. You know, I still can't think of that boy's name. <laughs> he came from round this way, Lincolnshire or Cambridge or somewhere. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network, this is from the Rookery End. So we want to sort of find out a bit more about him. And I suppose, Mike, we want to hear from fans and what they remember uh, about Tom and, and specifically about that youth team. Uh, like you said, we, we started going to Watford in 1986-1987, uh, nearer the end of his first stint. He'd been there since 1977 as a, as a coach, but of course he played for Watford in the 1960s and in the 1970s. So, you know, there's lots of fans out there who will remember him from being a player, as well as all the things that were successful at Watford in terms of mm. the coach, the coaching. And also, of course, there's a lot of uh, professional footballers who... Um, he played a major part in, in getting them ready for uh, long and prosperous careers in, in football. So we're hopefully going to speak to them. I don't know if this is going to be a, 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 a one-off podcast. It might be a series of things. We're not quite sure, but that's, that's the aim. So if you do know anything, uh, want to share your memories of Tom, uh, then please uh, get in touch. Uh, podcast at fromtherookerend.com or find us on social media at Watford Podcast uh, on Twitter, Instagram uh, and on Facebook. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we, we can do because there's so much stuff about GT, uh, isn't there, Mike? That you know, certain details uh, have uh, sort of haven't. He's one of those people who ha- a book hasn't been written about, or even a chapter hasn't been written about yet. Well, yeah, I think. Well, I think. I think. This, I think there has. This, I think people of a certain age will like us either be aware of him just because of being aware of him, because supporting Watford at the time we did, or like you say, people will have been around. Watford, of course, won the youth cup in in eighty two, which was a which was a massive thing under his stewardship. And but I think there's a, a generation perhaps. Um, you know Arlo and above who wouldn't necessarily know know who he is and know how important he was I think to to Watford about that time so I think you know as a podcast I think one of the great things that we've done over the years is we've looked under every stone and in every corner um, as about Watford and I think you're right I think this feels like a niche that needs to be needs to be scratched because GT rightly gets the the headlines but I think he would also say that he wasn't the only one that that made it all happen. He was just was so evidently integral uh, to that whole backroom staff. I think it'd be it'd be great to hear from people who uh, knew him, who met him, who went to those that perhaps those FA Cup youth games. 
um, and, and just any stories about him just to put some some meat on the bones and bring that character to life a little bit for, for those, A, for, for memories for those that were around then, but also as a bit of an educational thing for, for the generation. So anyone younger than us, really. But I think I still need to be educated. Yeah, bit, absolutely. Because yeah, I, yeah. I, I, was, I went to Watford then, but I don't remember the details no, back then. I, yeah, I remember lovely yellow kits running around and John Barnes being all quick and scoring <laughs> goals. You know, that's in many ways my, my early memories of, of Watford. Of course, I've watched videos since. But my thing about Tom Wally, I always want to figure out why, when it came to matches, uh, my memory is he'd be sat next to Graham Taylor on that bench. Graham Taylor would be wearing a tracksuit, but Tom was always wearing a suit. So I want to sort of try and figure that, that bit out as well. So anything you, you have, uh, memories of Tom, please get in touch, uh, podcast at fromtherookerend.com, or do get us through our social medias. Mike, we've already spoken to Adam about the transfers that have gone, the possibilities that that could could go. It, it, it is for well, seven days for us. We're calling this on Friday evening until Watford play again. <laughs> I don't know. We we can't even begin to preview that game, can we? I don't think we can, John. And I think we just need to allow ourselves this time just to relax and think. Right, as supporters, we can make a judgment call. Uh, on the day of the derby game, really, because when we see that, that well, that's not true. When we, I was going to say, when we see the squad list, we, of course, if we bring people in, then they won't have integrated. But I think that's really when the season starts for us as supporters. That's when we'll know what the squad looks like. That's when we can have proper conversations about what the, the best formation will be, who is best to fit into that formation, basically who we've got to play with for the rest of the, the, the season. It's been a moment that we've been waiting for for a long, long time. We've talked about the ending of this double transfer with it feels like for absolutely ever it's just dragged on and dragged on and dragged on as we we've hoped to keep some of our crown jewels it's finally in 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 sight and I'm, I'm really excited about it because i think whatever happens we're probably going to have a decent squad that that is going to have a, a decent tilt at this championship managed by a, a decent head coach in in vladimir Ivic. so whatever happens I, i'm looking forward to it but i really am looking forward to it just so we can start really thinking game to game about the next game he can come in we can rest him we can play him in that position instead of thinking well he might go we might get someone else in I'm tired of it I think the thing we have to remember is just how difficult this situation has been a for people at the club at the various levels Gino and Scott trying to to, to get the deals done Vladimir Ivic trying to sort of shuffle the pack juggle the, the balls keep the plate spinning how many metaphors can I fit in one sentence the one answer more. Go on, one more. <laughs> no I've got I've run out three how difficult it is for Vladimir Ivic to to keep things going and of course the players not knowing who they're going to be lining up uh, again uh, with uh, from one week to the next so I'm sure everyone is absolutely gagging for the end of this uh, what's it was now the domestic transfer window and uh, it, it just can't come soon enough it's been a little bit unsatisfactory but it's it's these are weird unprecedented times aren't they so i can't wait i'm really looking forward to it and it just feels like the season starts then we will also we won't by then point by next weekend at least but we will hopefully get a bit more information uh, about uh, everything that's been going on and where we are and what's what's going to happen because the club are going to have a, an at our place on online forum uh, on monday the 19th of october 7 p.m i think it's going to be on youtube and the and the club's uh, website so uh, everyone can 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 watch it um so that will be interesting post the transfer window properly being shut uh, and where we end up i think it's good you mentioned that john because i think that it and and people are very quick to criticize uh, very quick to have an uh, have an opinion you know I'm, I'm critical as well this is really is an opportunity to speak to scott duxbury 
uh, and I believe you can you can submit your question, um, and then you will you will get the opportunity to to ask that of Scott via video link is my is my understanding, or at very at the very least someone from the club will put it to him. So if you have had concerns about about what's been happening, or you you do have, uh, and I'm not saying you, John, this is the royal you, if there's such a phrase exists. If people do have questions that they want answered uh, if they do have questions they want answered then get in touch these really are you know we've been to these haven't we and and the club do say look nothing's really off limits as long as it's as long as it's sensible and as long as they can answer it they they will so i think this is an opportunity you know that fans have asked for transparency asked for for an opportunity to for 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 communication and this is one of those so if you have got a question i would urge you to to get in touch and ask because they will um they will answer it and at the fair play to the club for, for facilitating it and again i did want to say well done to the club for the um it's 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 friday today and the, the premier league have announced that uh games that aren't on uh aren't broadcast on sky or bt are going to be available for 15 quid a piece and then of course watford have been doing their hornet hive hive live thing for a for a tenner a game but I, I will say again what a wonderful experience it is to watch have an hour's worth of build-up to it to a league game uh dedicated to to your club Tim hosted on uh, on Saturday at Reading. Emma Saunders obviously does an amazing job as well. The club don't need to do that, and I'm not sucking up. I'm not being sycophantic. I genuinely enjoy watching that hour of of of, of, of stuff, and then afterwards they have an interview pitch side with a player. The club didn't need to do that, and I think as supporters, I think we need to recognise when the club do something good. They really do need to. Uh, we we need to say so, and I think that that's been great. I think this at your place is a real opportunity, and I would urge supporters with questions to to get in touch. And the other thing is that they're asking people for the program, aren't they? Three, three guests for your uh, for your Watford themed uh, Watford themed dinner dinner party. That's a program piece. They're inviting people to to write a piece for the program. So if you've got an idea on that, go for it. It's always a, a nice question, isn't it? Your three Watford themed dinner guests. I'd have you, uh, Jason, and Elton John. I think John. Oh, okay, uh, Glenn Hodges. Uh, um, you love Glenn Hodges, don't you? Yeah, He's got a such bit. a thing for him. Uh, Elton John, definitely, and probably someone like I don't know, Gerard Lavin. Ah, oh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, he came to mind because uh, Anne did get back to me, and she said it was Gerard Lavin who she looked after uh, on Tom's request. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We'll be back again after, as we will after every game this season. We'll be back with another podcast after the Derby game uh, on October the sixteenth. It's a Friday night. Uh, back in action in the championship. Let's see who turns out for the Hornets. So thank you very much, Adam. Thank you. And thank you, Mike. No worries. Cheers, lads. Come on, you horns. 